Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's really uh, great to be here. If you didn't get to surrender Adelaide uh, over the last two days, can I please encourage you to put it on your calendar for next year? I say it is the only Christian conference in Australia that truly gives us an equal platform as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. Um, and I've been to a lot of Christian conferences. Uh, and so uh, there's so much richness to what surrender brings. Um, it's changed my life uh, and brought me into relationship and community with so many people right across these lands now called Australia. And I want to share that with people and I want you to come and be part of what surrender means. And I thank Richmond Baptist for their support of surrender. Uh, it's uh, incredible for you guys to be partnering and um, Baptist churches in South Australia as well. Uh, I stand up here in my bare feet, which is nothing new for Richmond Baptist because your uh, worship team often uh, have bare feet, which is the thing I noticed when I was here last year. And um, I do that especially during acknowledgements of country. And it was uh, taught to me by Uncle Joe Kirk, uh, 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 Aboriginal traditional owner, uh, Turrbal and Waka Waka um, traditional owner. Uh, and in his welcome to countries, he would tell people to take off your shoes and socks. Um, because so often we are disconnected from the land. Uh, and so we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional about all relationship. Uh, and so that's my challenge for you this week, is to take off your shoes and socks and actually connect with the land. Uh, and um, so with that posture, it's a deep listening, a deep connection, um, and a reminder how all things are connected. So... Uh, what I'm going to share with you this morning, it's actually based on a theological paper that I've written. Uh, and so there's a few facts and figures in here. Um, and when I shared this uh, at another church, uh, a person said they didn't believe what I've said, but every fact and figure is actually referenced. So um, if you want to know the research behind it, I'm happy to provide that. Um, but it's just that thing about listening and uh, respecting one another as well. Uh, is this microphone okay or is it coming in and out? It's okay? All right, great. Uh, let me share with us. I think we've got the Aboriginal map of Australia. For over 65,000 years, Aboriginal peoples of the lands now called Australia have lived sustainably. Australia was once abundant with life, human and non-human, God's wondrous creation. God had determined the boundaries for over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples of these lands now called Australia and had given us, the Aboriginal peoples, the God-given role of stewards of these lands and waters. But since 1788, 55 species of fauna and 36 species of flora, and they're just the ones that have been documented, have become extinct, leading to Australia having one of the highest loss of species anywhere in the world. The colonial invaders or settlers failed to live out the biblical mandates that are embedded in our dreaming, Aboriginal people's dreaming, the biblical mandates to care for creation, to see Aboriginal peoples as made in the image of God, and to love their neighbour as themselves. And this resulted and keeps resulting in ecological and relational destruction. Whilst we cannot undo that which has been destroyed, we can work together to prevent further destruction by learning, learning from Aboriginal peoples as leaders 
ecologists, environmentalists, theologians, learning from millennia of practices of stewardship and sustainability, learning from the God-appointed hosts of these lands now called Australia. And there are many biblical passages that resonate deeply with the Indigenous worldview. One such passage we've heard this morning, Job 12, 7 to 10. But ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Job 12, 7 to 10 reminds us that the animals, the birds, the earth, the fish, and indeed the ocean, sky, land, and rivers, all of God's wondrous creation are connected, precious, are to be cared for, and can teach, tell, speak, and inform us. Aboriginal peoples have always known this and been living out our creator-appointed roles. And for each of us, it's usually um, our nans or our granddads um, that teach us when we're very little how to look at the animals and the birds and the insects, um, the land, the waters, the sky. What are they telling us and teaching us and informing us? We're taught that from a very young age. We have lived sustainably, using only what God provided, never taking too much, and never taking anything to scarcity or extinction. Well, pre-colonisation, we can claim those things. But I'm reminded of an incredible artwork by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leader, Wutati and Mabiog Island woman, Safina Stewart, and it's titled Big Fella Boss Cross. And I wish I could physically have it here um, with us today, but uh, it's up there in the lands now called Queensland. And Safina actually painted this cross in my living room a few years ago. And she painted our other Bible passage today, Romans 8, 18 to 25. And the artwork describes this view of the whole of creation from an indigenous worldview perspective. So in the middle of the cross uh, is Jesus, uh, painted in yellow, representing God's glory. And those of you that know Aboriginal painting, the central desert symbol for a person is the U-shape. And so that's Jesus painted there in the yellow, representing God's glory. And everyone is turned to Jesus, and everyone is all of creation. Safina said uh, in this uh, artwork and message, she said she wanted to capture that the gospel message is not just for individuals, nor just for people. It's also for all of creation. All of creation is being redeemed. And Safina shows us that the indigenous worldview by painting individuals, uh, and so that small brown U-shape is the individual, and then you can see it journey across um, to the campfire, and you see the smaller brown U's, and so you're going from individual to family around the campfire, and then the family um, and community, uh, then you see the, the brown, the tan circles in the big red circle um, that then represents nation. So you've got individual, family and community, and nations. Uh, and so uh, Safina paints all of this together, but it's not just uh, for peoples, because it's whilst surrounded by the plants, uh, the animals, uh, the land, and the waters, um, and the artwork, the incredible detail that you see in this big fella boss cross. But this is all of creation um, turned to Jesus.
Uh, and this is how we as Aboriginal peoples lived for over 65,000 years. And I talked about country and the acknowledgement of country, and it's Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson, who was the very first Aboriginal uh, 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 person to be ordained um, as a Baptist minister in Australia, and he's still with us today, uh, uh, but he's quite unwell. But Baptists need to know who Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson is. Um, he's an incredible theologian. But he wrote a paper with Mark Brett called Five Smooth Stones, and it describes the interconnectedness that is central to the Indigenous worldview when they talk about country. They say country, in this particular Aboriginal sense, includes the animals and plants, along with lands and waters, all of which must be cared for by their traditional owners. And it was great to see out in your little uh, library in the cafe, um, you've got Auntie Reverend Denise Champion's book, Yata Wandata. And if you haven't read that yet, please go and read it. It's right there in your library. Um, and in her book, Yata Wandata, Auntie Reverend Denise Champion uh, articulates this further when she says, it's the way we relate to creation and to nature, to all other living things. It doesn't matter whether you're a person, a human being, a bird, an animal, whether you are this mountain peak or that mountain peak. In all of life, that's the framework that we operate on. That's our very foundation, she's an Undermutna woman, of our Undermutna understanding of the world. And this is created to try and keep balance in our world. But colonisation, including the rapid loss of Australia's fauna and flora and deforestation has resulted in Australia being a land out of balance. One of the first acts with the arrival of the Europeans uh, in the place now called Sydney was to cut down a tree. Some of you might be very familiar with this drawing of uh, Arthur Phillip and his uh, men raising the Union Jack, but have you ever noticed in this picture the trees that have been cut down? And I've zoomed in on those stumps that are there. Aboriginal people didn't cut those trees down. Um, I explained about the clap sticks. They come from the tree. You don't take the life of the tree. Um, because it's precious and it has a role to play. And so even in this iconic drawing, you see the stumps of the trees that have been cut down. For Aboriginal people, this was more than a clash of culture. It was disobeying the creator and destabilisation of millennia of balance. One can only imagine the distress of the Gadigal peoples uh, and the clans of the Eora Nation. In the last 230 years, there has been further destabilisation and unbalance. Today, Australia, one of the world's wealthiest nations with a relatively small population, is responsible for extensive deforestation and forest degradation, with Australia's native forests only now 1.474 million square kilometres, representing a total loss of 38% uh, since European settlement or invasion. Bruce Pascoe in Dark Emu explains this 230 years of cultural conflict in spiritual and religious terms. He says, in Aboriginal life, the spirit and corporal world are wedded, but in European society, the economy operates independently of the spirit, and as modern examples illustrate, almost in defiance of the religious moral code. He goes on to explain some examples, the financial crash of 2008 and the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010 occurred because the Christian morality of most participants had been excluded from their business dealings. 
He goes on to say, the ability of the planet to survive such cavalier practices is being sorely tested. In 2019, we are still experiencing this cultural clash and witnessing these cavalier practices right here in Australia, which disobey the creator, where profit, wealth, and greed are sought at the expense of caring for creation. Up in Queensland, we have the Wangan and Jugalingu peoples who fight to protect creation from a proposed coal mine. Here in South Australia, you have the Murning peoples who fight to protect creation from deep sea oil drilling off the Great Australian Bight. Uh, and there's so many other examples. Uh, in New South Wales, they want to downgrade um, a national park to a state forest so that they can log ancient trees. This is a fight for stewardship, a fight for sustainability, and a fight for stability and balance. Mick Pope, in his book, A Climate of Justice, he implores non-Aboriginal peoples, he's a non-Aboriginal person himself, to use the Bible to challenge the Western Christian mindsets, to help create a better future for the earth and our world through rediscovery of Jesus' call to love our neighbour. Mick Pope, in his book, says... Can we embrace the non-human as our neighbour as well, as an object of our love? What if loving God means also treasuring what he has made and takes delight in? We can spend so much time drawing a line between humans and non-humans that we forget that there is only one line to be drawn between creator and creatures. We might be more valuable to God than sparrows, but sparrows are also valuable to God. So how do we deal with this Western cultural line between human and non-human and the Aboriginal culture's absence of such a line? The sparrows are indeed as valuable to God, but let us return to Job 12, 7 to 10. Job encourages us to listen to the birds of the sky, for they will tell us. But my question is, what about the birds of the land? The birds of the land have so much to tell us. And so I want to bring us into conversation this morning with three cousins, cousins of the flightless bird variety, the ostrich, the emu, and the southern cassowary, what I call the birds of the land. And I usually, the picture down the bottom is my friends that I usually take with me, but they couldn't fit in the suitcase um, for this trip. Uh, but they're here with us in spirit. Uh, and I didn't have an ostrich, and I, I did this at Newtown Mission, and uh, one of the lovely congregation members found me a toy uh, uh, ostrich, so I was very grateful. So now the three cousins are all uh, together in family there on the lands of the Gadigal peoples. These birds have commonalities being the largest flightless birds in the world. They are fast runners, and the male species of the bird is the one tending the nest and raising the young. The emu and cassowary also share that they cannot walk backwards. But for me, the ostrich, the emu and the cassowary tell us about the creator, about being stewards of creation and about sustainability. So firstly, the ostrich. The ostrich appears later in Job, in chapter 39. This bird of the land tells us about the creator's role in creation. In Job 39, 13 to 18, God talks to Job, Using the ostrich, um, many people misunderstand this passage. Um, it's not using the ostrich not to point out the failings of the ostrich, which many people think is what's happening, um, but it's not to point out the failings of the ostrich, but to declare God's role in creation. 
God created the ostrich this way. And whilst wisdom was withheld from the ostrich, they can run faster than the horse and rider. The emu. The emu appears in many uh, dreaming stories. And this bird of the land tells us who the creator is and about the creator's protection and love. The emu also links land and sky. Science now suggests that Aboriginal peoples are the first astronomers. And in linking science and the dreaming, we look to the night sky. This is actually a passage out of Dark Emu as well. Bayami, the creator spirit emu, left the earth after its creation to reside as a dark shape in the Milky Way. The emu is inextricably linked with the wide grasslands of Australia, the landscape managed by Aboriginal people. The fate of the emu, people and grain are locked in step because for Aboriginal people, the economy and the spirit are inseparable. Europeans stare at the stars, but Aboriginal peoples also see the spaces in between where the spirit emu resides. How will you look at the night sky differently tonight? Aboriginal Christian leader Uncle Reverend Ron Williams rewrote Psalm 23 um, in an Aboriginal style, and Auntie Maria Tanner from Port Augusta shared that with us last night at Surrender. And Aboriginal Psalm 23 assists in acknowledging the Father Emu's role in caring for its chicks, just as Father God loves and protects all peoples as his children. It begins, and we think back to Safina's painting, uh, Aboriginal Psalm 23 begins this way, My big fella boss up in the sky is like the Father Emu. The creator and the interconnectedness of creation. And long before the media uh, started talking about the current drought, the worst drought in 400 years, the emus wandered into the urban area of Broken Hill. This is before the media was talking about the drought. This was something that had never been seen before. In the grips of drought, climate change, thirst and hunger, these emus tell us. There are actually three species of cassowary, but it is only the southern cassowary that appears in Australia and only in the eastern far north of Queensland, um, the lands upon which I was born. And this ancient bird of the land tells us and in fact warns us of the consequences of not caring for creation and not fulfilling our role as stewards of God's creation. The cassowary plays an important role in the rainforest ecosystem. The southern cassowary is listed as endangered under the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act of 1999. It is estimated there are only about, um, and they're also found in Papua New Guinea, but there are only about 2,000 southern cassowaries left in the world. And uh, this is from the website about why they're facing extinction, and I want you to listen carefully. Their main threats to survival being vehicle traffic, dogs, and feral pigs. There's an important thing missing from that, and that all three of those humans have been responsible as part of it. And cassowaries have not been successfully bred in captivity. The scientists are quite stumped by what's happening. Lack of hope for the survival of the southern cassowary and humans' lack of stewardship of creation has greater consequences than just for the cassowary. You can see that cassowary and the big fruit in its mouth they can swallow like a fruit the size of an apple whole. Um, it's quite incredible um, what the southern cassowary can do. 
And so the consequences are greater than just for the cassowary because what of the large fruited species, the big plums, the satin ashes, the walnuts, the silky oaks, and certain gardenias, for them the cassowary is the main and sometimes the only agent of dispersal of those seeds of those fruit. If there are no more cassowaries, will the large fruited trees now also disappear from those places? The rainforest in far north Queensland is approximately 7,500 square kilometres, approximately 0.5% of Australia's native forests. And in such a small area, it is home to over 1,000 species of trees. And most of those are only found in Australia and only found in that area of Australia. We, as humans, in this lands, these lands now called Australia, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples, we have been given unique and ancient creation to care for. The question is, will we humble ourselves to realise humans' role in destroying creation and then, by embracing Aboriginal peoples and our knowledge of the Creator, enact our role of stewardship and sustainable practice of God's wondrous creation? The impacts of colonisation cannot be underestimated and one can only grieve for a time, and this passage comes from one of the first settlers' um, actual journals where he was documenting Sydney, and it says, where the plains were rich with life, the skies dark with birds, the seas black with fish, and the land filled, this is my words, the land filled with emus and cassowaries in healthy abundance. But grief should drive us to action, our first action is to correct the view of Aboriginal peoples, no longer nomadic hunter-gatherers, but correctly identified as the almighty creator's stewards, living sustainably for millennia. And this correction is not only important to sustainability, but even to prosperity in today and future Australia. As Bruce Pascoe says, the start of the journey is to allow the knowledge that Aboriginal people did build houses, did cultivate and irrigate crops, did sow clothes, and were not hapless wanderers across the soil, mere hunter-gatherers. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been intervening in the productivity of this country, and what has been learnt during that process over many thousands of years will be useful for us today. Bruce Pascoe continues to deny Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander agricultural and spiritual achievement is the single greatest impediment to intercultural understanding and perhaps to Australian moral well-being and economic prosperity. As Australian Christians, we have much work to do to practice stewardship in the household of God, these lands now called Australia. Whilst we have focused, I have focused today on the relationship between human and non-human we're reminded that Australia is a land without reconciliation or conciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples. Land and peoples are intricately connected. We say as Aboriginal peoples, when the land is sick, the people are sick. And our land is sick. Perhaps through what these birds of the land can tell us, an embracing of Aboriginal wisdom founded in great creator spirit, and the reminder of Job 12, 7 to 10, we will take action 
that leads to true healing in these lands now called Australia. That is my deep prayer and hope. Thank you.